Our text for this afternoon's service is the Word of God as summarized and confessed in our Heidelberg Catechism, the Lord's Day 28. How does the Lord's Supper signify and seal to you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his gifts? In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup in remembrance of him. With this command, he gave these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup given to me, so surely was his body offered for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and the cup of the Lord as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely does he himself nourish and refresh my soul to eternal life with his crucified body and shed blood. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his shed blood? First, to accept with the believing heart all the suffering and the death of Christ, and so receive forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Second, to be united more and more to his sacred body through his Holy, the Holy Spirit, who lives both in Christ and in us. Therefore, although Christ is in heaven and we are on earth, yet we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones, and we forever live and are governed by one spirit, as the members of our body are by one soul. Where has Christ promised that he will nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood, as surely as they eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup? In the institution of the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The promise is repeated by Paul where he says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break... Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. In response to the proclamation of God's word, we'll sing from hymn 71, stanzas 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, after our consideration of the sacrament of holy baptism, brothers and sisters, we now move our focus to the sacraments of the Lord's Supper. That's another means of grace, another gift of God for the strengthening of our faith. It's another way of portraying the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as the only grounds for our salvation. A simple way? Too simple, perhaps? Well, in his wisdom, the Lord instituted these signs and seals to confirm his promises. He uses very simple earthly means indeed, but for a very heavenly purpose. Yes, what, we may, be, what may be considered among the most common things on earth 
God uses for a most special purpose. Water, which is common worldwide, he makes a sign and seal of Christ's precious blood. Bread and wine, very general and common staples the world over, he makes signs of Christ's unique suffering and death. Let's not look at these means with disdain, beloved. Let's not consider ourselves too advanced for God's heavenly means of grace, as if only the beginners in the kingdom of God need the preaching and the sacraments, while the experienced members can do without or treat them at will. That happens, you know, that people want to be more spiritual than God even. What God considers necessary, they look upon as just external means. What he considers means of grace for the strengthening, the flourishing of our faith, they think that they can do without. Indeed, it happens that God urges us to know his word, while certain believers consider the Bible just a dead letter, and that the Spirit only makes them alive. It happens that God says that we must attend the services diligently, Hebrews 10, verse 25, while certain members say, oh, but the church doesn't save me, the Spirit does. Likewise, it does happen that God says, use these means of grace, take, eat, remember, and believe, that people say in response, I don't need those external means, I concentrate on the spiritual matters. Those people are just like Naaman, the leper in 2 Kings 5, who made a long journey to find healing with Elisha. He had expected some mysterious method from the prophet, but he received just a simple command. Go, take a bath in the River Jordan. That was too simple. He'd almost returned home and missed out on his healing because of his disdain for this means of healing. In the same way, there are believers who think they know better than the Lord, who don't esteem the sacraments very highly. They won't be healed of their spiritual leprosy either. Their life may wither and die. Rather, let us use the opportunity to gain for the consideration of God's gift of the Lord's Supper, that we may partake with renewed consciousness of the bread and wine with which our Savior will strengthen our faith as surely as we eat the broken bread and drink of the wine. I bring you God's word today under the following theme. In the Lord's Supper, we eat and drink of Christ's body and blood by faith. We'll see first that we accept Christ's suffering by faith and second, that we are united with Christ's body by faith. So first, we accept Christ's suffering by faith. What an upsetting idea it was to his followers, brothers and sisters, when the Lord Jesus told them, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They argued sharply among themselves. How does the Lord respond to their argument? Does he quickly refute them, explaining to them how he means it? No, on the contrary, he puts it even more concretely. I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. What an offensive reply it was to his hearers. On hearing it, we read in verse 60, many of his disciples said, 
This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Then the Lord Jesus addresses his smaller circle of disciples, the twelve. And he asks them, you do not want to leave too, do you? That's when Peter makes that beautiful profession of faith when he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. His disciples may not have understood exactly either what he meant. Still, they want to stay to learn more. For Christ has words of eternal life. That's so important, beloved, for those who realize that certain matters are still unclear or obscure. Some people might be turned away by that, but others will persist. To them, the Lord Jesus will explain and clarify whatever is still unclear, and he will show them the life and light of the gospel. That's what happened with these disciples, too, who continued with the Lord Jesus. They understood better what he meant when he instituted the Lord's Supper in the night that he was betrayed. Then he said emphatically, This is my body that is broken for you. This is my blood that is poured out for you. After his resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, however, they celebrated the Lord's Supper all the time because they had received more light yet about his suffering and death. They understood even more that in him they had true life. They understood that they find healing in his wounds and that in his death they receive life. That's what our Lord's Day is all about, brothers and sisters. When it asks the question, what does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink the shed blood? It means to accept with a believing heart all the suffering and death of Christ. Accept it. Accept it for the forgiveness of my sins. Accept it so that I may find comfort in his wounds, find life in his death. Accept it. That does not mean that you acknowledge that he indeed once lived and suffered and died. That's how people today are busy with him. They want to receive proof first that he lived, that the facts about him are true. Accepting Christ's suffering and death, beloved, that means that you believe that he came and suffered and died for you. That's the faith we express when we'll sing hymn 28. Christ Jesus came, God's wrath he stilled, our human nature sharing. Christ Jesus full atonement made and brought to us salvation. Each Christian therefore may be glad and build on this foundation. Thy grace alone, O Lord, I plead. Thy death is now my life indeed, for thou hast paid my ransom. In this way you make his birth, his life, and his death your own. To share in it. To benefit from it. That's what we mean when we confess, As surely as I receive the bread and the wine, and taste these signs with my mouth, as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely does he himself nourish and refresh my soul to everlasting life with his crucified body and shed blood. Indeed, by his suffering and death, I receive forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Do you realize that this is what the whole history of the world is all about? 
Ever since the fall into sin, God has continued the history of the world to come to this point, that our sins could be forgiven and preserve for himself a people unto everlasting life. That's what the coming of the Lord Jesus is all about. Adam and Eve, Noah and Abraham, Ruth, David, Solomon, Joseph and Mary, the flood, the exodus, the conquest, the exile, and the return from exile. Everything happened to move history to the world to the day of Christ's coming into the flesh. Let's not lose sight of this tremendous moment in history, namely that the Son of God came into the world. The Word became flesh because God wants to come to a new heaven and a new earth in which He wants to live with His people who are righteous and as holy as He is. The only way this was feasible was through the suffering and death of this Son of Man. Through His sacrifice, only could He forgive our sins. That is, remove them. Send them away. That's why Christ came, so that He would be removed from this world, sent away from Jerusalem, burdened with our sins to be crucified for our transgressions. That's what this is all about. That we would accept this for our salvation. That we would confess this with a believing heart as the only way for our salvation. That's what we should realize when we're partaking of the bread and the wine at the Lord's Supper. Then we confess with a believing heart that we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as the most important gift from God for our life. Do you realize that still? Do you remember that? Is it that for you indeed? You know, if it was so important for God to give his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life, would it not be terrible if we would just take that for granted? Or if we would just consider that a historical fact? Or if we would treat it as just one of those things in our life? We could not offend the Lord God in a worse way than by ignoring His gift of love or by refusing to find our whole life and salvation in Him. But that's what we would do, though, if we would partake in the Lord's Supper thoughtlessly or if we would not partake of the bread and wine with a believing heart. Do this in remembrance of me, the Lord Jesus commanded us. We better do so in faith. In that way only do we receive forgiveness of sins and life eternal. And we receive it instantly. We receive it not just when we die. No, we receive it today. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. The Lord Jesus says in John 6, verse 47. And elsewhere, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. That's the same that he explained at the occasion of the death of Lazarus, when he said to Martha, He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He asked Martha. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Well, that's what he asks us this afternoon, too. Do you believe all this? For then you will live and you will continue to live, even though you may have to go through the portal of death 
into eternal life, your life will not be interrupted. You will live, for you will belong to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the living. What a wonderful gospel this is, beloved. As you know, people are very much concerned with life here on earth, their life in the here and now. The continuation of this life is so very important to them. Medical research and medical progress aims to extend this life, to make it longer and longer. What it is, however, is the extension of a life of brokenness, of a life of suffering. Those who are handicapped continue with their handicap. Those who are sick, chronically ill, continue in that condition, as do the elderly in their ailments of old age. Extending man's lifespan only means the extension to a life of sin and suffering. However, now the life we seek in the Lord Jesus Christ, the life we receive by faith in him, by accepting the suffering and death, that life is new, everlasting, and eternally youthful. For that life we have to come to the Lord Jesus, as he told the Jews in John 5, verse 40. Those who come to him who is awaiting them at the table of the Lord, will find life. They have passed from death to life, as John puts it in his first epistle, chapter 3, verse 14. That brings us to our second point. We're united with Christ's body by faith. The meaning of the Lord's Supper, brothers and sisters, is even richer yet. Because it means also to be united more and more to his sacred body through the Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us in such a way that though Christ is in heaven and we are on earth, yet we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones. That also is such a wonderful expression. We can easily recognize it from Genesis 2, verse 23, from Adam's exclamation when the Lord brought Eve to be his wife. And Adam expressed those beautiful words, the intimate and intense unity between him and his wife. It denotes a unity of life between husband and wife. In Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul uses this, this same unity and shows how it reflects the relationship between Christ and his church. This is a profound mystery, Paul says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. It's not so that Christ uses the marriage relationship as example for the intimate communion between him and his congregation. Rather, it's the other way around. In a Christian marriage, this relationship between Christ and the church must be reflected. In that way, a Christian marriage comes to its fulfillment and its fruition. Now, in the Lord's Supper, the Heidelberg Catechism shows this intimate communion between Christ and his church is experienced. We are members of his body, Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 30. And this body is on earth still today. The head of the church is in heaven, yet he already draws his congregation to himself. He does so by his Holy Spirit, who uses the word and the sacrament for that. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through 31, Paul also shows that the church is the body of Christ. We are all baptized by one spirit into one body. And we are all given the one spirit to drink. 
chapter 12, verse 13. That clearly shows that we don't have this union with Christ just individually, but collectively. It's not a marriage between him and my soul, but between him and his congregation. Our church membership, beloved, is not just an extra, something that you may like or may not. No, when we are united with Christ, we are to be united with his body more and more. That's important in this time of age, in which church membership can sometimes be taken so lightly, so subjectively. Many a believer is content with just a personal relationship with Christ, without being united to his congregation. The Bible, however, shows us the church as the bride of Christ, a bride that you may not ignore, neglect, or take at will. Those who ignore the communion of the church or neglect their brothers and sisters in the Lord, they will lose Christ as head of his body. Paul shows that Christ cherishes and nourishes his body. He nourishes her unto everlasting life. He cherishes her with an intimate love, which he shows to her by his word and in the communion at his table. Central in the Lord's Supper is the fact that it is a meal of communion of unity. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one loaf. We shall show this to one another, not just in words, but also in deeds. Yes, pursue that. Not, all among, not only among the community of saints, in the congregation of which we are a member, but also in our pursuit of church unity. It's an incentive indeed to seek the communion of word and sacrament with all those who confess Christ according to his word. We may not resign to the fact of division among the churches or resort to a theory about the plurality of the church. Rather, we should seek this table communion in the way of the unity in the true faith. So in the celebration of the Lord's Supper, brothers and sisters, we express the communion of faith with Christ and with one another. That's something different from experiencing a feeling of communion among believers. This common sense or feeling of communion is so very important today that people go by this feeling more than their faith. Of course, faith cannot go without feeling. Faith is at work in people who are made alive in their mind, soul, feeling, and will. Our feeling, our experience of faith, are included in our believing. Our faith directs all the attention at the word of God, at the promises of God. That's why the men of Emmaus said, Was not our heart burning within us when he opened the scriptures on our way? When you hear the gospel and you believe that these rich promises are for you, Yes, for you too, your heart fills up to the brim with thanksgiving. Your feelings of joy and thankfulness become overwhelming. Well, the same happens when we are celebrating the Lord's Supper. Of course, if you are passive in your participation, you won't be enriched in your feelings. But when you celebrate the love of God in Jesus Christ, and you accept his love actively while you eat and drink at his table, you will be strengthened, uplifted, and enriched in your feelings as well. Of all things, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus.
You see then that the communion of the celebration and the faith that was strengthened at his table come along with us into our whole life with the Lord. The spirit of communion comes along with us into the week, and it stays with us under all circumstances. Christ the head and we his body are united also when the circumstances in life are trying or when our feelings are sorrowful. The same spirit that dwells in him as the head dwells in us also as his members. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit, John writes in his first epistle, chapter 4, verse 13. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Ephesians 4, verse 16. That's how the love of God grows and shows in our daily life. It affects our interests, our priorities, our desires. For we are governed by the Spirit of Christ so that we live in Christ, in our marriage, in our family, in our job. Yes, in every place and position, I don't do what I will, but what He wills. That's how the new life which we share by faith in Him the new life in which we, sorry, that's how the new life shows. The new life in which we share through Christ's suffering and death, the new life in which we share by faith in him, the new life in which we are united by his Holy Spirit. Seek this communion with Christ and eat of the bread and drink of the wine. For Christ's flesh is food indeed and his blood is the true drink. That's what we have to focus on when we participate in the Lord's Supper then we will have to be active in our participation, conscious of what we're doing. Then our participation is a public profession of faith, that he is in us and that we are in him. Then we also have to examine ourselves every time to see whether there still is this intimate communion in faith with him. For the celebration is not just a matter of knowing what it means or observing the facts about his suffering and death, but it is a participation in his suffering and death in order that we may then also share in his life. Hence, you are called to examine yourself. Do I seek my life outside of myself in Jesus Christ? Do I want to be united with him in life and death? Through Christ's death, we have become different people. We have a new life. That's why the congregation celebrates the Lord's Supper. For by it, God and his Son sustains this new life, strengthens it, and it nourishes us into eternal life. Amen.